The Nonprofit Happy Hour. A weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Rachel Miller-Howard. On today's show, we bring you a conversation with Willie Levinson, who is the ringleader of the Human Access Project. Their annual Big Float is tomorrow, July 14th. Register now at thebigfloat.com. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined in the studio. I'm super excited to be joined. Uh, Willie Levinson is the uh, with the Human Access Project. Can I? Is the Human Access Project uh, the Human the Access force Project. behind? Uh, I'm, well, I'm the ringleader. That's my official IRS title. So I do not <laughs> refer to myself as the ringleader. Legally, I am the ringleader, which is one word with a capital R, which really throws off newspapers because they go by this AP style guide, apparently. And ringleader is two words with a lowercase star. But it's my legal title. They just can't break that rule. It's hilarious. Yeah, and it seems in keeping with uh, trying trying to change systems here. I mean, so Human Access Project, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize and you can correct me, is trying to re-engage people with the Willamette River uh, and, and, to, and, and has uh, brought people back to the river, swimmers, boaters, uh, and is... And we're one piece. I mean, there's a lot of people doing a lot of work. Our mission is laser-focused on downtown Portland, and our mission is to transform Portland's relationship with the Willamette River. So we do that in a number of ways. We don't apologize for having fun, and that's probably our secret sauce, and it's possible to have fun and make a difference at the same time. So I'm really a lazy activist from that standpoint that I've really picked something that I can get my arms around. It's very specific what we're looking to do. And it's something that is a lot of fun. There's a lot of things that people work on where you can't necessarily jump in an inner tube, which some people might not like, but I do. And a lot of people do. So it's cool to be able to combine recreation with making a difference. So we, we find creative ways to get people into the river through events. We advocate with the city for policy change. We do physical things to change our environments, to create spaces that people would be attracted to. And the, the marquee event is, uh, and so this is pre-recorded earlier this week, but, but, but tomorrow, Saturday, the marquee event, the big float. Right. And the big floats become a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's cool to, I mean, on a certain level, it's interesting just from a brand development standpoint where, you know, you have a new idea, you put it out there. If you're not capitalized and you can just do a multi-million dollar campaign to introduce a new idea, you know, you just kind of, things take a certain amount of time to grow. I mean, when I started doing the event, I had a chance to visit with Clay Fuller, who was the original organizers of the Blues Festival. And this is probably like, five years ago we're in our eighth year this year he said you know what you guys are doing good you know you just got to stick with it first blues fest we had there's probably like 500 people there so you know 30 years later it is a, a bigger event but it takes time even it's hard to imagine there was a time that the blues fest was something like what blues fest what's that about so i think it's just a reflection of us hanging in there staying in the game and uh 
you know, being tactical about how we get the word out. Plus, it's fun. Big Float's super fun. So for the 25 people in town who don't know what the Big Float is and haven't seen the the ads, are you you guys are on buses again this year? No, we are not on buses this year. Okay. Um, no. <laughs> But 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 explain what the big float is. Uh, give us numbers. Give us uh, colors. Give us uh, events. Okay, so the big float is a movement disguised as a party. So initially, when I started doing this work, somebody approached me and said, "You know, access to the Willamette—that's a good idea because, according to Portland Parks and Recreation, only five percent of downtown Portland has access to the river's edge, and the Willamette River is Portland's largest public open space and natural area." And as we continue to densify as a city, we're not going to be adding green space. It's going to be very difficult to add green space, which I like hearing, you know, described as just relief from the built environment. The Willamette River is our blue space. It's an untapped blue space, and we're going to need it. We're going to need to activate it. And it does provide uh, that relief and the connection to nature. So... um, Big float, what is it? So the gal says to me, um, you should do a petition. And I just told her immediately, you know, petition is very passive. Anybody can sign a petition. The big float is a petition signed by your ass in the water. It's action. And that's a lot of what we do. I mean, I think in a lot of ways that, I mean, if you look at planning documents with the city, I mean, we, you know, we've had a reputation in the past as being really innovative from a planning perspective. And all these planning documents have all these fluffy ideas about how we should have a greater connection to the Willamette, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, I mean, when it's a top-down thing with these aspirational ideas, if they're not backed up by action, it's not nothing's going to happen with them. So, I mean, I think that's really been the secret sauce is that the big float is a manifesto of what we want Portland to, how we want Portland to feel about our river in a lot of ways. And it's a manifestation of that manifesto. So what we do is uh, it's, it's over-engineered for fun. We have a group, a part of our project called the River Hugger Swim Team. It's a recreational protest swim. We swim five days a week in the Willamette. So we kick off the, the big float with our River Hugger Swim Team swimming across the Willamette. Then we were going to have the Rose City Raindrops do a synchronized swim routine. Is that, th- is that new? Uh, it's the uh, first time Rose City Raindrops are going to be joining us. All right. Yep. And, you know, then we have there's, – there's some details I'm going to leave out because I want there to be some surprises because we have some good surprises this year. Uh, then we have an inner tube parade led by the last regiment of syncopated drummers. And if you've never marched behind a syncopated drum corps, it feels like you can bore through a concrete wall. And what's <laughs> great about it is that it really is the point. I mean, when we first started doing the big float and would pass people on River Place who were having their lunch, they would look at us like we were insane. And it's funny because when you're with everybody in this group, you don't feel insane and it feels like a very normal thing to do. But then... And it's all sorts. Of, I mean, people have. This is not just your Les Schwab uh, inner tube. Right. These are some fancy, uh, built-up uh, floats, and and there's there's creativity. There's costumes that go into this. Right. People dress up in costumes, and I mean, novelty inner tubes have become an industry now. So I mean, there's you know giant swans and unicorns and. I got my nephew a punk rock duck, which is like a big duck with sunglasses and a a mohawk, which is fun. Actually, has an eye patch. Yeah, so there's lots of colorful floats. Um, Then after the inner tube parade, we put in at Poets Beach, which we had a you know was an initiative of Human Access Project um, that was opened by the city last summer. Then we have two floating stages. 
So the Newport Bay restaurant, there's a dock. We're going to have one band there. So midway through the float, you can take in some music. And then at our after party, uh, which is in Tomacall Bowl, we're going to have three more bands. Uh, Zephyr with Pete Krebs, which is a French band because it is Bastille Day. Uh, second band is B-Side Players out of San Diego, which is a group composed primarily, primarily of Latino uh, gentlemen. They have uh, funk, rock, originals, and they do a set of Curtis Mayfield cover songs, <laughs> which is just so awesome. I'm a huge fan of Curtis Mayfield. And then uh, Jerry Joseph and the Jack Mormons is our uh, headliner. So it's, uh, and we have uh, 200 foot long slip and slides at the takeout, complimentary chair massages, food cards. Um, it's a, it's a big party to yeah. get people on the river. Right. It's, um, it creates unintentional activists. I mean, I think the idea is that when people get caught up in the campiness of it, and more and more what's great is I am really proud of Human Access Project's impact on the conversation of the Willamette River in Portland. Because ultimately, you know, when I moved here 20 years ago, I was indoctrinated with our oral history that it rains here a lot and never put your toe in the Willamette because it'll kill you or you'll grow horns or your skin will flake off or all these things. And everybody seemed to have a pocket joke about the, about the Willamette. But in the next breath, they would beat their chest and talk about how they love being a green citizen and how Portland's such a green city. And it's like, we can't, we cannot make jokes about a river. You can't make jokes about a river. I mean, it's completely unacceptable. And if you feel that way, we need to dig in and do something about it. Now, I mean, the Willamette is swimmable now. There's no scientific disagreement that says otherwise. And today, if you feel like the Willamette River is not safe for swimming from a human health perspective, you're either uninformed or you're a science denier. It's all there is to it. So what's nice is after eight years of work is, you know, people are saying now, yeah, you know, we're going to swim in the Willamette. And, um, you know, this year, our registration pace, um, this is pre-recorded, but I mean, we're two and a half times our pace of last year. So I think it's very possible we'll have over 6,000 people on the river this year. And, you know, and, and, and again, we're, this is, this is, uh, we're recording on Monday, but it's the forecast is for, you know, pushing a hundred degrees. It couldn't be a better day to be in the river. Um, the the attitudes have changed dramatically. I mean, just to, to see that change in attitude and use in, in five years, uh, can you forecast five years from now and, and, and tell us what the Willamette might look like in terms of people using it and what that does to the city? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, I first off, I, I mean, I, I greatly appreciate the support of Ted Wheeler's office. It's interesting because you do things in the public space and just there's people say so many mean things. It's crazy just how easy it is to hate. I mean, I would say, I mean, my personal perspective on Ted Wheeler is that dude has a hard ass job. I mean, what he inherited was not pretty. And, you know, ultimately we need a lot more. I, my personal opinion is we need a lot more money to run the government. We're always short. We can't do everything. Um, so, you know, number one, he's had a really big impact too in helping us with our message. And, you know, of course the Bureau of Environmental Services with the big pipe project and, you know, all the other important habitat restoration environmental work that's gone on. But so, I, I, but, but what is, what does it look like five years from now? Well, let, let, uh, before we jump there, I want to talk, let's talk about Ted Wheeler some more because yeah. I mean, it truly is remarkable that he does come out and he has the mayor swim and right. that, I mean, that's it's, not normal for mayors. No, I mean, it's cool because, I mean, honest, the things that we work on with him, I I mean, as an activist, as I've been shaping my activism voice, I mean, there was a time 
probably uh, about three years ago where it's like it's interesting starting a new not-for-profit because you would think that you're doing something that's positive that the rest of the environmental community would just say oh great we have another person who wants to help but there's all sorts of politics even among do-goers and trying to kind of figure out how to play in a space and carve out something and not make other people mad so as i'm working on things and you're just getting to know all these people at one point somebody says you know people kept saying you got to meet mike Lindbergh," and i was like Okay, got to meet Mike Lindbergh. So finally, he's former, former city, city commissioner, and he's the second longest-serving city commissioner now behind Dan Salzman. I guess he just passed him, but he's worked, did a long time. So finally, I sat down with him, and actually, I was really nervous because I was just thinking, what if this guy is a dick? I don't know if I can say that. You'll just take care yeah, of it. You know, you yeah, can say whatever. That. Okay. And, he, and he's not, for the record. <laughs> right. I was just thinking, what if Lindbergh's a dick? Because, like, everybody just seems to think I need to meet him. Because that happens. Like, sometimes you... You have to kiss the ring. Well, no, I don't I don't kiss the ring. I mean, honestly. I mean, so what came out of Mike Lindbergh was that I was just so taken back with a nice person he was. And because, like, at the point when you started not-for-profit and you're trying to compete for the space of, like, city commissioners, bureaucrats trying to get something done... Here's the thing. If they were interested in doing what you're talking about, they would have done it already. They would have already been working on it. So when you're an activist trying to do something new, you're competing for, you know, overworked space. So, you know, it's like you're really fighting for a seat at the table. And sometimes it's not pretty. I mean, so I was I wouldn't say I was aggressive about it, but I was like, you know, you, you're you go in there and you fight. So after I met Mike, and at a certain point I realized, you know, I think I have a seat at the table now. It's time to start really trying to make friends with people and develop relationships. I realized, you know, maybe Mike Lindbergh's secret sauce is that he's really a nice person. So that helped me shape my advocacy voice, which is to be honest, transparent, and civil with everybody. When I call City Hall or bureaucrat, what I want is for them to say, oh, Willie, what's up? How can I help you? You know, he, Willie's not going to ask too much of me. How can we help solve a problem? Cause you're not, I, cause they know I don't over ask. I hardly ever ask for money when I'm doing advocacy. I am looking for permission. You know, really I spend my energy searching for the people who are capable, committed, um, cooperative and fun. If you don't have all four of those things, I'm really not interested in working with you. And, you know, there's some people you have to work with, and I just keep putting those values forward and hope that it's going to follow. Because if you want to solve hard problems, you need to have some base level of trust in order to collaborate with somebody. Collaboration is a creative process. And if you don't trust the person around the table when you're throwing out some crazy idea and trying to just figure something out, it's going to be less fun. You're not going to have a as good of an outcome. So I really spend a lot of energy trying to surround myself with people with those qualities so we can collaborate and have fun and fix things. Willie Levinson is the ringleader of the Human Access Project. Uh, you brought in a song that you wrote about the Willamette. Yeah. Let's take a listen. Okay. I fell into a dream one day town where I could swim and play Loved its river just like the land The Cascade Mountains, the coast, and micro-beer I'm a river hugger Willamette River lover Your sparkling pride makes me come alive Roll on, my friend, roll on 
on tribes and the salmon thrive. No dams, barges, bridges, or cars, just canoes and oars and swimming under stars. I'm a river hugger, Willamette River lover. Your sparkling pride makes me come alive. Roll on, my friend, roll on. Lamet Falls, a proud number two. Outside of Niagara, no one's larger than you. Would you ever guess our river has tides? Always lowest when the full moon shines so bright. I'm a river hugger, Lamet River lover. Your sparkling pride makes me come alive. the nonprofit happy hour on x-ray fm i'm phil bussy i'm joined in the studio uh willie levinson is the ringleader for human access project tomorrow saturday is the big float which is their annual marquee event uh several thousand people in uh swimsuits and inner tubes floating from poets beach uh which is just south of oh i just totally uh, the tillicum bridge yeah no. it's under the markham bridge under the markham bridge uh, on the west and, side and and floating up to Tomacall Bowl, great. There's been a mark. This has been an event for ostensibly the last eight years, but there was an event before that that was a little less uh, permitted. The Portland Challenge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The big float was ninety five percent inspired by the Portland Challenge. So, I, um, you know, I grew up swimming. I went to college at Radford University in southwestern Virginia. The New River flowed behind our campus. I developed a really strong relationship with the New River in college. That community had pride in its river, loved the river. People would tube in it, fish in it, swim in it. I moved to Boise, Idaho after college. It was a very similar experience. People loved the Boise Rivers, the pride of their community, fish in it, swim in it, tube in it, um, walk by it. So I come to Portland and, you know, the relationship now, I mean, it's it's evolving there it was just kind of like oh yeah i mean it's, it was absolutely not a source of pride for the community 
So um, I heard of this event, the Portland Challenge, and what this uh, guy did, and he's, I just ran into him the other day, Jay Boss Rubin. He uh, got a bunch of people together at the Slammer Tavern, have a few beers, then without any permits and wielding watermelons and other things, we would parade down to the Willamette River, cross MLK, no permits. We would just stop traffic. It was just awesome. Then get into the river and swim across. So I think he did that for about five years, and it was, he wound up uh, making it a fundraiser for an orphanage in Tunisia, and they actually wound up building the orphanage, which is super cool. Then he decided not to do it, and I felt this big loss because, I mean, at that point, I, I was just like, yeah, you know, I want to affect change in the Willamette, and you got to get in the river and show people that it's you just can't talk about these things. At a certain point, if you want to affect change, you have to have action. So... Um, so yeah, so that really resonated with me and he stopped doing it and I thought, you know, I, I've, I I need to continue this, but that was so uniquely Jay's voice and I just, you know, uh, kind of adapted it. I love intertubing and it takes longer to do because when you swim across the river, if you the mayoral swim happened earlier this week by the time of this recording, you know, it really takes you about 20 minutes to go through. So there's this big buildup to get in the river and then it's kind of over. So a float takes longer, more people feel comfortable on an intertube and I got permits just to make it feel more legit for a broader community. But I love the punk rock nature of that event. I mean, it's, it's, it was amazing. Yeah. I want to go back to something that, that you, you, you briefly touched on, uh, your relationship and, and, and really in the broader sense, the other cities relationships to rivers. Um, you know, I think of Minneapolis, I think of Boston as, as a little bit larger, but similar, similar cities to Portland. And they seem to have a very strong, relationship to the river uh is that something that that you feel like has that we're at that point here in in portland uh what further steps or barriers need to be crossed to to get to that that strength of relationship that's a good question i mean i'd say for me you know what we are really trying to catalyze is challenging how people feel about the willamette and giving them kind of an opportunity to just re-examine how they feel about the Willamette and what they want the relationship to be like. Because I think it's one of those things where, you know, word of mouth is very strong. So if somebody tells you the Willamette's polluted beyond control and it's a hopeless situation, then you probably won't take the time to do any further research. So, I mean, a lot of it is just changing the conversation in Portland, the oral history around the Willamette. Ultimately, if somebody feels like any idea is hopeless, the battle is done. I mean, if you don't feel like there's any hope to solve something, you're done. It's over with. And, I mean, what we're here to say is there's every reason to feel hopeful. This is not the Willamette River of the 1960s. And, you know, Tom McCall, that dude really had guts and imagination. I mean, when he decided to take up his work, the oxygen levels were so low in the Willamette, fish would literally suffocate and die. I mean, at that point, for him to dig in and say, you know what, I'm not giving up on this river. I mean, that really took guts. I mean, the work we're doing is pedestrian compared to that. Uh, but Tom McCall's son, Tad, is on our board of trustees, which is super cool. So it's nice just kind of feeling the presence of Tom McCall with the work that we do. And and one what, what of the things, I mean, it's maybe it's a good problem to have, maybe it's not. But but as the river becomes more popular, and you yeah. alluded to this earlier, there does start to be a competition for, for interest, whether you're talking about, uh, I mean, I, I'm out there rowing. I am not, uh, it, that does not mesh well with the, 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 the wakeboarders. Uh, you know, swimmers don't necessarily 
crossing the river mesh well with with uh, the dragon boaters. Uh, how does that become a problem to, to balance out those those things and to share that resource? Yeah. Okay. So you had a question about where does Portland look like five years from now? To be honest with you, I mean, I generally don't spend a lot of energy imagining five years down the road. I'm I'm not like a big idea guy. I'm a guy who likes executing things and seeing what's in front of me. So from that standpoint, I can tell you the next things that we're working on is that um, right now in city of Portland, this Wednesday is going to be a really interesting day. Uh, city Hall is going to proclaim that July 11th, 2018 is River Hugger Day. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we're going to kind of hold off on this, making a hard push on this advocacy at the end of the summer. There's not a parks director in place, and there's a little bit of flux going on. But right now, according to Bureau of Environmental Services, PBOT, Portland Fire, Travel Portland, Travel Oregon, DEQ, Oregon Health Authority, Mayor's Office, I'm sure I've missed somebody, they all say it's okay to swim in the Willamette now, right? But... We are providing no direction about where to get into the river. It's like, it's kind of bordering on irresponsible. I mean, you can't just tell people that they can swim in your largest public open space and natural area and not direct them to the least risky places to get into the river. Because here's the thing. I'm not, I'm never going to say that swimming is completely safe. Just like I would not say that walking in downtown Portland is completely safe. Riding a bike in Portland is completely safe. Driving a car is completely safe. What you do is you recognize that these activities occur and you work to make them safer. So what we need to do now, next year, is Portland Parks and Recreation needs to identify the least risky places to get into the river and put up swim lines as a start. Then we need to start engineering these places to attract people. So you want birds to show up in your backyard. You put up bird feeders and bird baths and native plantings and birds start showing up because you've created a place that birds like. If you want to direct humans to the places that you want them to go, you put up floating docks, you put up swim lines, you put up amenities that will attract people. Because if we don't do that, people may pioneer spots that we do not want them to go that are more dangerous. We have a responsibility to direct people to where we want them to go. They might not listen, but it's our moral responsibility as a city to do that. Now let's talk about something, something lost, something gained. Uh, you know, so obviously safety and, and, and regulations, does that lose some of that summertime free for all, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously, there's a balance, uh, you know, your event, uh, the, the big float clearly feels like there's, it's controlled chaos yeah, in a very fun way. And now I think some people might be surprised to hear you talking on a pro regulation side, because those seem those two things can seem contradictory. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the big float is over-engineered for safety. It might feel, I mean, we want people to have a fun time, but we have 100 safety kayakers. Everyone's required to wear a life jacket. We have six AMR River Rescue lifeguards, Multnomah County River Patrol, Fire Department jet skis, U.S. Coast Guard auxiliary. I mean, we safety is nothing that we never uh, take safety for granted. So, I mean, and when it comes to safety and swimming and rivers, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm for regulation when it comes to making – what I'm for is directing people to the least risky places to get into the river. Um, you can never take a river for granted. You always have to have respect for it. So um, I I think it's very possible to um, – and, and, you know, what I'd say too is um, just like 
one park can't do everything. You know, sometimes you go to a park and it has a baseball field and one other will have a splash pad. Sometimes you have a massive park that can do a lot of things. You look at the entire park portfolio and you say, okay, well, I'm going to go to that park if I want some quiet reflection. Or I want to go to that park if I want to play some hoops. And I'm going to go to that park if I'm going to go to a splash pad. I think we have to look at the portfolio of our aquatics in the same way. So if you're looking for the least risky place to swim, you're going to go into a pool. If you are have a little greater comfort level and you're okay with swimming in a river where you cannot see the river bottom, you know, the deeper you go, you might look to a river. And then we might be able to engineer these spots that are a little bit different. Well, maybe some will be designed for more quiet reflection. Maybe some are going to be designed, you know, I want to see a park design that has a big rock you can jump off of. I mean, it's fun. I'm not going to apologize for having fun because... If we don't provide opportunities for people to jump off stuff into water, they might do it in places we don't want them to do it. And that's the thing. I think it's a matter of managing this by not saying, don't do this. It's more saying, would prefer you do this. And we're trying to acknowledge that. And I think I look to skate parks in kind of a similar way. Yeah, the skaters just tearing up the urban environment, you know, skating in places you don't want them to go. So you create a place specifically for skaters in an idea to create a safe environment so they can do some fun stuff. I think that's a good way to view river recreation. Willie Levinson is the ringleader from for Human Access Project. This has been the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. People want to get on, uh, still on the big float. Uh, they still have time in the next uh, 24, 16 hours. That's right. When it's Friday, you'll have one more day for $10 registration. Day of the event, it goes up to 15 So save yourself a little money. There's, I mean, you really need to do this. It's, uh, it, we're really going to be... Uh, blowing portland's mind this year it's gonna be great thank you for uh continuing to host this event and to to build it and and for uh turning the ship as it were on the attitude of the willamette river thank you i appreciate it special thanks to beneficial state bank which believes that banks should nourish our communities if your organization or business is interested in underwriting this show please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our producer and editor is me, Rachel Miller-Howard. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.